Have you put on your spectacles? Because if you did, you'd see that the year is 1935. Now I'll tell you what the year is. The year is 1935. <laughs> did you know? Do you know what they invented in the year 1935? Do you know the genius, the splendor, boxed wine, baby? Put that shit in a box. Not only did they invent boxed wine, baby, they also put beer in a can. That's right, piss in a can. Also piss in a box. Oh, so you got two. I'll get two. Because here's what I thought you were going to say, and this was my first one, which is that Cooper Zinc also sold the first men's boxer briefs in Chicago, known as jockeys at the time. Do you want sexy undies for men? Get jockeys. Get jockeys. Ride them. <laughs> Cowboy. <laughs> the, but also, I think my, my actual fun fact that I, I think I decided to go with is that Parker Brothers began selling the board game Monopoly. Oh, which, no, capitalism. Monopoly had been around, I think, for... A couple of years already but as like its own self-packaged thing this parker brothers selling it is like the monopoly we know today which is the terrible game that no one actually plays correctly or finishes you know how capitalism isn't fun in real life well it's not fun in this game either something else that happened in 1935 tell me what happened in 1935 it happened one night what did in 1935 what happened one night in 1935? <laughs> the movie It Happened One Night won the Oscar for what movie Best Picture. What happened one night? And Best Director. <laughs> this is our last pre-code movie, technically. Um, after this, the MPPDA is going to be rigidly enforcing the production code. This movie actually came out four months before official enforcement so they it's going to be last. movies have kind of been touched by the code but not yeah enforced they've been, by the code. i would say they've been massaged but i think starting now they're going to be broken by it is the difference right and because like there's been like slight movement but now we're going to see like huge shifts in like the way certain things are framed do you want to know another fun fact i'm mavis evergreen your host hello i'm going to try to talk about feminism and writing and story uh i'm going to be your other host andy reyes uh I'm going to try to talk about, for this film, probably mostly just film history. And I, I do try to bring minority perspectives into play, but uh, this this is going to be another one in a long line of movies that is kind of just about white people. That's not true. They get to New York, and you know it's New York because there's a black man selling Some a hot, hot dogs. dogs. Just one hot dog. Not, he's not allowed to make them, but he's selling them. Uh, do you want to know? Would you like a summary of it happened one night? Yes. It happened one night, 1935, directed by Frank Capra, starring Claudette Colbert, Clark Gable, and Walter Connolly. We enter a boat where the captain argues with his strong, independent daughter over her elopement with a phony king. After being slapped, she dives into the sea and onto a bus. She's making her way to New York from who knows where. On this bus is a thin-moustached, sarcastic love interest who's better than her at being streetwise and also everything else. On the road to New York, she loses all sense of independence and also loves him, I guess. He turns her down and then changes his mind. A wedding doesn't happen and they have sex. Slut. This is a pretty big movie. It's considered by a lot of people, not us, but a lot of people to be one of, if not the greatest film of all time. It's, it's, it's up there on a lot of people's lists. Um, it is the first of only three movies that we're going to get to that won all five major Academy Awards. So this got Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay. Not Best Screenplay because this is technically based on a book. 
I do think it shows in this film that it's not based on a play because the dialogue in this movie is actually really good. It's very naturalistic. They probably had a lot more to work with as well because it's a book and not a play. Whereas in a play, it's like you have stage direction and dialogue. And it's also at, at this time, dialogue was still very heightened in plays. But based on the thing you had said earlier, I think I think I kind of wanted to start off with our synopsis of this film mm-hmm. because it is a well-loved piece, which is... We thought it was fine. I don't think it deserves an Oscar, but it's fine. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird. I would bet if we were to watch other movies that came out at the time, we would either find them like jarringly inept or a lot of bombast, but nothing behind it. Like a movie that came out the same year was Cleopatra, also starring Claudette Colbert. I don't know. And I've seen parts of that movie and that movie is boring as shit. Yeah, no, I definitely think this is a competently made movie. Very slick in its direction. Yeah, I think one of the first movies that is not jarringly cut, they actually put like thought into transitions, which is really nice. Yeah, they probably also, they, they it also feels like they had a lot of pickup shots. Pickup shots are when you film a scene twice from different angles, usually uh, either to get, you know, the same reaction, but like closer up or... Um, the same scene, but from a different perspective. Um, a lot of productions couldn't afford two cameras, so they would just do the scene again with the camera. This movie feels like it has a lot of those because they'll often cut in the middle of dialogue to show characters reacting. acting and reacting and reframing conversations. It's a lot of fun, but like other than that, I mean, I don't know. It, do you want to like talk about what the movie's about? It's a romance comedy. It's a romantic comedy. We love One them. might call them a rom-com. I don't love rom-coms. A very specific type of romantic comedy, too. Rich woman has to be shown the ways of the world by, from, uh, by a poor man. This is a very Hallmark, very yeah. Hallmark style. It is a very Hallmark movie. Now it does it with it. a lot more class than a Hallmark movie, but... But with all the conservative viewpoints of a, of Hallmark, a Hallmark movie. movie. <laughs> Are you saying that a Hallmark movie has the conservative values of the 1930s? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <we> <laughs> It is also a road trip movie, uh, which is... I think this is the first road trip movie we've seen. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think this is the first one where the road trip is like, the central point. I don't feel like we can call any of the, like the World War One or two movies like road trip no, movies. No, even though I, I mean technically you could, but yeah. it doesn't really. I don't think that counts. No, me neither. Absolutely not. I think a thing that we had sort of accidentally got into talking about, but I think a thing that is interesting is you kind of forget the places they go because they're inconsequential to the plot. They are very much like a setting, and the movement is what's interesting. Uh, this movie doubles down on that in which we never really stop anywhere we know where we are and we're either always in a bus or in a trailer who knows where yeah the the movie the movie this is a weird one because this movie exists in i think what a lot of people would consider liminal spaces like the inside of a bus or a train station or yeah a motel room or the side of the road and it doesn't like to linger in those places the movie really, really, by giving you the feeling of we need to always be on the move, also kind of just the, where they are relative to New York doesn't matter other than... They're not there they're yet. They're not there yet. And then once it does matter, they state very clearly, we're only three hours from New York. A comment that I would have with sort of the liminal spaces it takes track in is you never know how much tension there is because it's very obvious very early that like, ah, these... 
two individuals are going to fall in love on the road. So there could potentially be like a built up tension as they're getting closer to New York and sort of running out of time. But because you never know how far away they are, that tension doesn't really exist in this movie. And I wouldn't say that the movie like suffers for it, but I definitely think it would make the movie better. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't detract, but if it did have this, it would make it better. I kind of prefer it though, I think to, I think like modern movies way of doing it, which is just, we're, we're going to stop at all the hottest locations between LA and New York, which means we're going to see, you know, the fucking mountain with the presidents on it. That's disgusting. The, we're going to see the arch, the big arch and the Mississippi river. And we're going to, we're going to be in Texas and we're going to see the bayou and and we're going to see the thing. And we're going to see the thing. American Gods, I think, does something really interesting with it, with like the stops and stuff that the, the road trip movies don't, right? They don't examine them any further than like, you got to visit them. Amer- American Gods is trying to say something about kind of Americana tourist traps yeah. that I don't think these movies give a shit about. These movies are very much about, I well, most road trip movies these days, I think, are following the like... That one Chevy Chase movie where he's trying, he's like, we're going to go to this amusement park and we're going to have a fun time and it's a terrible movie and I hate it. But like, it's always about like, this man wants his family to be a family again. And the only way they can do that is by trapping themselves in a metal coffin and driving across the United States and having wacky adventures. They are, most road trip movies do our family adventures. Uh, We've all seen the Goofy movie. Yes, or you know, more a more recent one, the Mitchells versus the Machines, which you brought up as well. Yeah, it's not about the trip; it's about this family being a family again, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, and the places they go are kind of inconsequential. I think the Mitchells versus the Machines kind of kind of gets away with the tackiness because that's sort of the point. I feel like they're at least sort of commenting on like the embarrassment of being a family that's into that. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> we don't have any of those in this movie. No, we, yeah. And this, this movie also doesn't care about places. Because it's more concerned with these two characters. Falling in love. Be, not even falling in love, just being around each other. It's true. So Inhabiting the same space. Our, our characters for this film are Ellen Andrews, a socialite heiress. Uh, to to some wealth, I I wouldn't be able to tell you what. No what, idea what, is what the friend? wealth is. Yeah, I like her dad owns. He's a captain money. of a boat, is all I know. Yeah, he slaps her like you know rich people. And <laughs> our other main character is Peter Warren, like a muckraking, down on his luck journalist. He's uh, so good at what he does, lower, but he doesn't like authority. Yeah, lowercase J like journalism. Yeah. Um, it'll interest you to know that this book was written by a muckraker, which oh, I think is cool. I do think that's cool. Muckraker who wanted to rise above his station. Yeah, how dare he? Yeah, it, it does, I don't want to say interesting things. No. No, but it is interesting to see kind of the first of this trope in film. There are definitely worse movies from this time that have this trope in it is what I can say. I think this movie skirts a fine line uh, and not always well of, well, she's like rich and her problems are kind of dumb. And I agree with that. Rich people problems are dumb. You have the money to pay for them to go away. Shut up. (laughs) But also the other side of that is when does it stop being making fun of someone for being rich and start being just making fun of a woman? Yeah. And it does not always toe those very clearly. No. And at the end of the day, she's not rich and powerful now because she's on the run and hiding. Maybe she was rich and powerful, so you can make fun of her past. But like right now, she's poorer than you are, has physically less power than you do. So the dynamics just aren't great. And sometimes it feels really bad when he's talking down to her because it's like, hey, this is a tiny woman 
kind of at your disposal. It's not really fair what you're doing right now. Yeah, the 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 power dynamics between them are super unbalanced. The the movie manages not to do anything egregious. Disgusting. Nothing happened one night. <laughs> That's yes, absolutely. Nothing happens any in all of these nights. Nothing happens, which is kind of which is hilarious, but also I think nice like there's no point. We have seen three movies, three movies in which like a man creepily watches a woman get undressed uh, without her notice or consent. And there is a point in this movie in which he's like, I'm putting up a curtain. Get dressed behind that curtain. A- aside from the stupid joke, it's nice. He's, it is nice. He's, th- this, is a, this is a very flimsy boundary, and he respects it to the end, right? Like, I will not invade your privacy i will not like i will do a bunch of other terrible shit to you i will take your money i will demean you i will yell at you but i will not like sexually assault you or leer at you which i think is a step in the right direction yeah honestly a tentative step but a step nonetheless i think something else that helps is that this actress really holds her own against him yeah it is this movie does really have a case of she is strong and competent and super smart until she meets her love interest, which is endlessly frustrating. However, meeting a man makes you stupider. It's a, it's that's a fact. That's a proven fact. No, it is. Anytime they're not in a scene together, she is like allowed to be competent. But the minute he walks in, she has to like literally drop everything she's holding and be like, "Do I have hands to hold?" Ah. However. Besides the things she must do for the script, this actress is very like confident and loud. And she does a thing that both of us, I think, really liked for like 80% of the movie. She doesn't trust him because this is a very flimsy barrier. And she's like very distrustful of that and There's... very aware of the position she's in, which is cool. There's a very amazing moment at the beginning of this movie where in she's they are off the bus at a rest stop for 30 minutes if you've ever been on a greyhound bus you know the drill and she takes her bags off with her and puts it down beside her and gets robbed and so he notices this and just bolts directly at her and her reaction is to go uh um uh then he runs past her and she's like oh thank god but like that's like a genuine that is a fear i've seen in people's eyes as a person who sometimes just runs to places of people just being like oh god i hope they're not running at me like yeah it's it's awesome it's like the the fact that this actress had the the direction and also the competent acting skills to like display that and then over the course of the movie continue to Never know if this is going to be the night that it happens. And she maintains that level of distrust up until the very end when the confrontation happens. I would say up until she's not allowed to have it anymore. I would say like in the hay scene, they sort of strip away any self-competence, any competence in thyself from her in the scene in which she is like, Oh, well, you know, like, if you don't want to hitchhike with me, you don't have to. You can leave. I don't need you here. And it's very cool and rad. And I was feeling it because I was like, yeah, we're like an hour into this movie. And she's still like kind of independent, at least like verbally, if not in action. And then immediately looks behind her to see that he's gone and like breaks down. Goes from zero to screaming. Yeah, she literally is just like, Peter, Peter, I'll die without you, Peter. And it's like, oh my God, you like got slapped and dove into the ocean 
to escape a boat. What happened to that woman? Yeah, what happened to that woman? It doesn't read as like, oh my God, I'm in love with Peter and I'm sad he's gone. It just reads as like, I am codependent and I will die without this man. And mm-hmm. I don't like that. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's definitely one of those things where if the, if the movie had done a better job of like needling at and picking at the things about her that are from her socialite, rich, spoiled background... I think that could have been interesting. She has a whole speech at one point in the movie where she talks about the fact that like, I might be spoiled, but I never got to do anything I ever wanted because I'm my rich dad's only only child. And there's like a point to be made there. Like but, I'm very sheltered. Yeah, but the the I think the other point that the movie kind of fails to make is like, one, it doesn't matter. You were still in a position of power and- Privilege. Yeah, affluence that most people in their entire lives won't ever get to have. Mm-hmm. And two, I don't give a shit about that. Yeah. I give a shit about the fact that you seem to be incapable of living without handmaidens or whatever. Like it doesn't, it doesn't ride that line competently. I would say, I think you could do something like interesting if they could kind of make up their mind. I would say this movie is like indecisive on how much authority she's allowed to have. Because on one hand, she'll be like, ah, I was very sheltered and I was never allowed to do anything. But on the other hand, she will dive into the ocean and swim away. And it's like, you cannot be both of these people at once. Or if you are, I think the way like to portray both of those sides is to be like, ah, well, I was very sheltered. So I've constantly been running away, but I've never like succeeded. So I think it would be cool if she was like really confident up until she'd kind of done it and she was like i don't actually know what to do now yeah this is the part where there's just i've I've never gotten this far before we've all done that in a roguelike video game yeah and i just think like that would be the interesting way to do it right have her be competent up until like they're halfway there and then have her turn to him and be like i don't i don't know what to do now i've never gotten this far actually and then you could have like this moment of sensitivity in which she wouldn't be like demeaned as a human and also could maintain her competence from before, but also rely on this. It's frustrating because the movie will get those moments and then immediately like circumvent them by just having her be entirely dependent on him. There's, here's a pretty good moment. This isn't a good moment, I think, in terms of the film, but it's it puts on display, I think, what the power dynamics at play in this movie very well. It's the only time really that I think the movie does it very well, which is that when they're on the bus, they're singing and having a great time and the bus crashes because the bus driver gets a little too into it. And this woman collapses because she hasn't eaten and her son's crying. Peter starts comforting the kid and he's like, we haven't eaten. We spent all our money on these bus tickets. And he pulls out the money that both his money and the money he took from Ellen. And he's looking at it like, I, this is all we have. I can't just give it to this kid. And like, so earlier in the film, right, he takes this money from her, which is bad. But then at this point in the movie, Ellen walks up, kind of gets the gist of what's going on, takes the money out of his hands and gives it to the kid in like this impulsive moment. I'm going to do this good thing now. That's a fun way to play with those power dynamics. It's just immediately downplayed later when he has to un- let her know that was all the money we had. You're dumb. And it's like, no, she did something that you weren't able to do. She was being nice to a child. And the the movie just kind of like it gets so close to to doing it right. And then it always just fumbles it. Yeah, I, I think like like we had said earlier, there's nothing egregious. I think the worst stance this movie takes is that it doesn't. I, again, it's one of those things where it doesn't draw a very clear line. But because it's 1935, I'm going to be suspicious of it. In which she doesn't have a lot of money and she's kind of spending it willy-nilly. And I think the movie is trying to give the implication like, well, she's rich, so she's never had to save money before. But he takes the money from her and says something along the lines of like, well, women can't be trusted with money anyways. And it's like, cool, so we're taking the hard stance that women don't deserve to spend money. They need a man to do it for them. The problem is not that she's rich and doesn't know. It's that she's a woman and couldn't know. Fuck off. But And the movie's constantly doing that. It's constantly doing that. 
in like little ways and in big ways. And like, it's only because these two actors are so strong, so charming, have so much chemistry together that it works at all. If, if, if either of these actors had been any less competent at acting, this would have been a hogwash movie. This would have been this would have been another Seventh Heaven, right? Like it would have just been two people just kind of mushing their faces at each other like fucking Barbie dolls. Instead, it's nice, and you know, like it's frustrating because like this guy, this is this is the Clark Gable. We're gonna be seeing him a lot. To see him and Claudette Colbert just like go toe to toe in a time which in which kind of both of them were already famous. It's nice. It's fun. And there's like a great scene where they're pretending to be a married couple when these detectives come in like, we're looking for this woman. And they're like, we don't know who she is. And we're going to pretend to have an argument. And she starts yelling and he starts yelling. And then she starts crying and he starts yelling at them. It's fantastic. It's like the best scene in the movie. Yeah, it's very funny. It's rad. I think it's the first scene in the movie in which I genuinely think they have like chemistry. And I think that's just as actors. Like I think in this scene, they're just having a ton of fun as actors. But it reads really well. And I was like, maybe this couple has something. A really good punchline to that scene is as they're trying to like make the detectives uncomfortable. So she starts crying and he starts yelling at her for crying. Like, ha stop crying. You know, they leave and someone knocks on the door and they think it's the detectives. So she starts crying again. And he starts yelling, stop crying. And it's the bus driver being like, uh, we're leaving. What's going on? And they're, and they're just like, drop the act. We haven't even packed yet. Oh my God. Very fun. Also, a thing that is a boon to this man. He pressed her clothes himself and also made breakfast so that's a hot commodity we've seen this person be more competent than any other man i think in cinema history up until this point i pressed her clothes and made her breakfast okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna hate to say this but the father in where she's like he doesn't want my child that father was pretty competent he also cooked food into dishes and washed clothes and stuff a reoccurring theme that also really gets on gets on my britches i will put them i will put them on the same level yeah i'm just saying i think they are equivalent this man never says he loves her to her on screen he only ever says he loves her to other people and i hate that i think that really sucks i think a thing that maybe deserves to be discussed is like the structure of love stories, which is sort of a big thing. But like every love story is built on like not communicating, right? That's where like the tension comes in and stuff. Especially for romantic comedies. I feel like even for like romantic dramas, the drama still comes from them not. No, for sure. I'm just saying that like all of the miscommunication and emotions in like a romantic drama get like tripled and quadrupled in a romantic comedy for the point of the laughs, right? Fair. So sort of the height of this movie is when she, again, having like no personhood anymore, finally goes past the walls of Jericho and is like, oh my God, I know we're like three hours from New York, but I love you and I don't want to marry this king anymore. And he's like, go to bed. You're not thinking straight, go to sleep. And she goes to sleep, like crying or whatever. And like a couple hours later, he like wakes up and he's like, did you mean it? But she's asleep. So he leaves to go get money to propose, I guess. Whatever, I, don't, I, I know this, I'm not guessing. And then he comes back, but she had woken up and was like, well, he left after I told him I loved him. So I guess I'm gonna go marry a king and be miserable. So then this man proceeds to tell like everyone but her that he loves her. And I think that sucks, cause it's not funny. And I would be fine with it if like at the end of the movie, he was like, by the way, I love you doll. But that never happens. Like we never see them interact again after 
he turns her down and she cries. I guess that's not true. We see them interact and they like argue a little bit, but like we never see them interact happily in a way that is very deeply unsatisfying. Um, It is implied that they have sex at the end, but like we don't see that. And we also don't see them communicate or love each other like equally. Yeah, this movie, this movie one has a very rushed ending, which I think sucks. I think it, it, it really drags this movie down pretty heavily because of all the things that you mentioned. It's one of those things where I think the dramatic irony of like him going off to do this thing and coming back and just missing her, that's fun. Yeah. He goes to his editor to like give him back the money that he got paid and is like sheepish in a way that the character has never been before. And that's fun. But it's like all of that is just undercut by the fact that like ultimately this movie doesn't care about her. No. Or her feelings. No. Like they have all the worth and importance of an ele- of a middle schooler's crush. Yeah. Right? right. Like they're worth nothing to the movie. What the movie really cares about is this man and this man maintaining his honor and look at how much of a man he is and she should be with him because he's a man. And once... Once that's been established, we don't need to see them be in love. We can be assured because of how manly this man is that this is going to work out. But like, because there's no status, there's no emotional satisfaction then. We don't get to see them be happy together in a comfortable way. We get to see them be happy together in a, we're both breaking the rules and we're both kind of disasters. Oh, the end to the joke is uh, we're tearing down the walls of Jericho. And that's the implied sex. And we're going to have Not only sex, premarital sex. Premarital sex. Technically premarital sex. Which is probably why they didn't show it on screen, but like, I don't need to see them fucking. The problem is, right, is that the act of sex is not the act of loving another person. Mm -hmm. And like that shorthand doesn't equate to emotional love and comfort. Even Bad Girl got this right, right? Like people have sex. They don't think about it sometimes. Sometimes it's just a thing that you want to do. The the movie still takes like the pains of like, just because these two had sex doesn't mean that their love is complete, that they're done working on it, right? Whereas by this point, only like a couple years later, movies have already devolved to the shorthand of, well, they had sex, therefore they must love each other. And it must be a deep, whole, and true love. We we skipped from one problem to another problem, which is like, in Bad Girl, it was they had sex, but they're not married, therefore they don't love each other. And like, that's a shorthand I don't agree with. And this movie skips to the shorthand of like, well, they love each other, therefore they have sex. And it's like, that's not a better shorthand either. And therefore they're going to get married. None of that dialogue, none of that shitty dad sending him a telegraph telling him he can fuck my daughter. None of that shit gets across like the emotional satisfaction of- Just seeing them on screen together. Yeah, seeing these two actors together they were at a waterfall maybe have them kiss under the waterfall whatever like that's that would have been just something just have them on screen say they love each other yes. it's a thing that i think really exemplifies masculinity and the misogyny and romance of like women are very much expected to espouse sweetness and comfort and like reassurances and it's like pushed in these movies really heavily of like women should constantly be telling men how much they love them but men should never say it to a woman again the problem is right is like society is reflected in the movies and that's why we do this because we think it says something larger about society and it's like that this is a problem of like men are not expected to show their feelings ever 
And women are constantly expected to be vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. We're not at the like John Wayne era of like men shouldn't have feelings at all, which is because like this is a character who... He has feelings about other things. And, I just and, think it sucks. And, and it's like a foreshadowing yeah, of... Yeah, it's 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 a slow tread to death on this one. Yeah. We're going, we're going to this see is the this second movie actor. though, in which a man doesn't ever have to tell his wife he loves her. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. And it does suck. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a wife, tell her you love her. <laughs> you just do, you just pop the headphone out and just be like, "I love you." Or if you're dating, or if you're, you know, if you're if you're with your mom or your dad or your little brother, if you're with someone you love, tell them you love them. Yeah. It won't fix the problems, <laughs> but it'll be nice. My name is Mavis, and I endorse this message. We are still like we are barely recovering from that like 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, who knows how long it's been, right? Just men aren't allowed to have feelings and if they do have feelings, they need to push them down deep inside and drink them away or, you know, better to be an alcoholic or a smoker than a man with feelings. Like we're 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 barely recovering from that. You still see this shit today in modern movies, right? The entire premise of Iron Man's character is that he's a man who never comes to grasp with his feelings and it gets half of all population in the universe killed and then himself and that's saying that you should die you should die instead of grapple with those feelings and try to come to terms with them actually speaking of speaking of men let's talk about the problematic fave in this movie I would, her dad this is oh i thought you're gonna say i thought <laughs> you thought i was gonna say shapely i thought you were gonna say shapely and i was gonna be like no we don't like shapely no shapely shapely's been canceled shapely should be canceled did you say shapely sus yeah nice um, oh my god did we see shapely vent <laughs> we're not talking about shapely we're talking, we're talking about her about dad her dad who has a name Andrews, someone Andrews, Mr. Andrews. Captain Andrews. I'm going to call him Captain Andrews. So Captain Andrews does slap his daughter, and that's very bad. I do not like it. That slap happens two minutes into this movie, really setting a tone that I immediately put me on edge. I do. Probably the one nice thing I could say about that slap is that for like a split second, it cuts to his face after it happens, and he seems shocked at like his own reaction. Like, oh my God, I've taken this too far. And then she dives into the sea. And then she dives into the sea, and he knows for sure that he took it too far. Not to forgive this action at all. No, no. It's a shitty thing. Problematic fave. However, at the end of the movie, when his daughter returns and she's very sad, he's like, baby, you're upset. Tell me what's going on. And she's like, I'm in love with another man, but it doesn't matter because he hates me. And he's like, oh, thank God. And he's so supportive. Like, every step of the way, he's like, if you want to leave this wedding and go marry this muckraker, sure, baby, whatever you want. In fact, to the point of the wedding, he's, like, walking her down the aisle, and he's like, I have a getaway car for you if you need to leave. And, like, what a supportive father, yes. I have a cigar lit in this breast pocket if you decide to run away. It's burning my clothes right now. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Like, once she does run away... The immediately just big fat fucking cigar in his mouth light and this guy, this other guy King Wesley this tool just comes up and he's like what happened and he's like I have no idea how this turn of events could have occurred cameraman make sure you get a good shot of her driving away I'm gonna watch this reel for decades <sighs> Oh, yeah, this is the best day of my life a little too supportive. Yeah, it's Very good Do you want to talk about shapely? I wasn't going to mention him. I don't want to talk about Shapely. I actually do. I want to talk a little bit more about the dad. I want to talk about the, I want to talk about the interaction that him and um, uh, Peter Warren have. Yes, yes. When when he comes by. So Peter sends the worst worded telegraph. In which he's like, I would like to get my money. 
for getting your daughter home. And there was like a $10,000 reward for her. And she's like, yeah, he deserves every penny. I had a great time. She did not have a great time at the very end. And we need to talk about how much of a hot mess she is after the, during this scene. I feel scene. like the minute the hay thing happens, from there to the end, she's just a hot mess. She's just falling apart all over the place. Any piece of self-identity she had is just on the floor, is bleeding out. She's like drinking on her wedding day, but not like in a fun way. In like a, oh, there's alcohol here now? At one point, she grabs her uh, kingly husband, fiance, by the lapels and like shakes him. And she's like, our life is going to be a circus of never-ending joy. And we'll never get off this carousel. Promise me we'll never get off this carousel. Drink, 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 drink. Promise me. And he's like, whatever you say, sweet thing. Sure thing. I don't really get this metaphor. And she's like going down on a box wine because they just got invented. And just got invented. She's up on that. <laughs> this movie this movie was this movie was recorded and released prior to that. <laughs> she's on it. He is also becoming a disaster. But we don't get to see him. He Because he he's a man. He's got to be competent even in the face of dis- humility and grief. It is implied he's like a drunk, but we don't really get to see it. And it's only talked about in like other people being like, once you sober up, you can have your job back. We get we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of it when he's sitting in this hotel room, like newspapers everywhere. And he's reading about their wedding. Oh, I hope they have a great time. <laughs> but the problem is, is in these scenes, I have no pity for this man because he caused he all of this. Up. He, okay, so a thing that I think is, we mentioned earlier, but I have to double down on how annoying it is. They are both very self-pitying, but he doesn't get the right to self-pity because everything is his fault. He didn't say he loved her. He left in the middle of the night without explaining. Like, he didn't try to catch back up with her. Like, literally, the only reason this is happening, dude, is because you didn't speak up. Like, you don't get to sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to drink my sorrows away because they're getting married. Like, she asked you to marry her, and then you said go to bed. So you cannot be mad that she was like, well, I guess I'm going to move on. And so it's very frustrating. Yeah, no, it's it absolutely sucks. He has no right to it. Again, the only reason this works at all is because like, this motherfucker is so charismatic. It sucks. Nah, like from the beginning of this movie, just walking the thinnest it's fence. It's a very thin line. And uh, sometimes, sometimes he's very charming and sometimes he's not. And like, nah, I think he falls on the side of a little too shitty for me to forgive yeah, his trespassings. Sure. No, but I will sure. admit there are times when he's very charming. But it's one of those things right, where it's like the amount of charm that this actor has in this role. It's it's if it, again, if he was any less competent, this character would suck. This this character would be another seventh heaven. We can also say another bad girl, another bad girl. I think we ended up liking that guy at the end. I ended up hating this guy at the end. Uh, because I, of, because this ending was so bad. Yeah, I was like, these movies have the reverse problem. Yeah. Of, that movie ends on a really high note it doesn't deserve. And this movie, pretty good. And then it ends on a really low note. Yeah, those last 10 minutes are garbage. Garbo. Greta Garbo's not even in this film. But yeah, he, 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 Captain Andrew's thinking this guy's going to ask me for like an insane amount of money. The $10,000. The $10,000, at least the $10,000 uh, in 1930s depression era money, which is like a lot. And instead this guy comes in and he's like, here's an itemized list of all the things I had to sell to get us gas. I want thirty six seventy, a very specific amount. No more, no less. And then I'll get the fuck out of here. And immediately this guy's like, all right, hold on a second. I got it. I gotta know. What's going on? Do you love my daughter? And he's like, yeah. Are you some kind of pansy bitch felling in love with my daughter? Anyways, but he's like, only an insane person would love your daughter. 
only a rat bastard would love that rat bastard of your daughter. And, like, he gets pretty insulting to the point of, like, this is no longer a cute bit. Like, he never calls her, like, a bee or anything, but, like, he might as well have been, like, you know, going all at it. But anyways... I don't know if that word was in popular use back then. I feel like if it were, he would have said it. All I'm saying. He calls her brat the whole movie? I didn't like that. I don't like that either. Uh, It's better than doll, but only by, like, a margin. Anyway, the dad's like, you're not answering the question. Do you love her? And he's like, yeah, I'm insane and I love her. And then, uh... They walk into each other in the hall. She's like, what are you doing here? I'm upset. And he's like, yeah, I'm leaving. And it's like, cool. Why couldn't you tell her right now that you loved her? Like, you just yelled it at her dad. This, the ending of this movie goes nowhere. I mean, we've complained about it a lot already. There's just nothing to talk about the beginning because the beginning is fine. It's a rom-com. I would say the first hour of this movie is a good time. It's just that last 20 to 30-ish minutes uh, once... I would maybe 10 minutes because as, as soon as she runs away from the wedding, you could have ended the movie there and I would have been like, well, that's a very sudden ending and it would have been better than what we get, which is nothing. It really does feel like these two other actors needed to be somewhere else. So we're just going to film like a quick, you know, pick up shots at the second location and boom, we're done. Boom. Anything else we want to mention? Some, some pretty, some interesting things is that Claudette Colbert thought it was terrible when she finished filming. She wasn't happy with she wasn't happy with it. But I think initial reviews at the time loved it. Everybody thought it was fun at the time. The kind of criticisms when the movie came out were it gets kind of dull. There's a focus on like cohesive plot, which is nice, a thing that we haven't really had yet. And again, the dialogue is actually good in this movie even if it is like very uh hindered by the time it was created in yeah i mean it's it's still got like the problems that we normally get where there's a lot of slang but but because it's naturalistically written characters aren't speaking a mile a minute it's very understandable there's a lot of context in this movie that you just don't get in other movies which is nice there are certainly things that happen that you're specifically there's one thing that happens at one point she goes to a hotel and misses her bus to this day I have no idea why she went to that hotel. What did she do there? Why'd she go there? Pretty sure she just went to get breakfast. They should have said, like, I'm going to get breakfast at the hotel or something. And so I'm just like, why did why did you go to the hotel? Anyways, the thing that I also wanted to mention was Bugs Bunny. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is, this is the movie where you get the Bugs Bunny impression. I should say, this is the movie upon which Bugs Bunny's performance, his general affectation was based. Which is actually kind of cool as like a historical moment. I was a kid who like grew up in love with Bugs Bunny. Same. So I was not a huge fan of Looney Tunes. Just just seeing Clark Gable like munching on a carrot, being like, it's all in the thumb. See, this is how you do it. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is where it comes from. Who would have known Clark Gable would have been the first trans character? <laughs> I missed the wrong toy in Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, no, that was definitely interesting. And another one last fun fact before we get to the the feature film of the night. Claudette Colbert was so unhappy with her performance in this film. I do think that maybe it wasn't that she thought that the film was terrible, but that she didn't like her performance in it. When she was nominated for Best Actress, she was like, I'm not going to win. There's no way I'm going to win. So she was planning to take a road trip, a railway trip specifically. Nice. And someone had to go yank her off the train and drag her to the awards because she won. 
it announced it was announced that she won and they were like the train hasn't left yet go get her so she showed up in like a two-piece traveling suit everyone else is there in their fucking gowns and she's like i'm ready to leave that is red and like yeah so yeah this this movie won best production best director frank capra best actor clark gable best actress claudette colbert best adaptation robert riskin like we're not gonna see this again until 1975, which is 41 years of film history happening. So I do have a question for you. Uh, we had mentioned in the last episode that we we supported Frank Capra over uh, Shitty Frank. Yeah, Frank. Do you stand by that statement? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. This This guy has such a better eye for film, I think, than other Frank. Frank, Frank Lloyd, Lloyd Webber. What Lloyd has is he has like an intrinsic understanding of like filming dynamic shots. Because all of the dynamic shots in his movies that we've seen were really good. Anytime the camera was moving, I was like, oh, that's really good. That's very well done. I believe he was the one who did the stairwell scene in Seventh yeah. Heaven, right? Like, but none of the rest of his movie. They're very stagnant and slow and the cutting doesn't ever work. And the editing is fucking garbage. And like this movie's editing is on point. Its direction is on point. It like, has like themes and jokes that maintain through the whole movie. Through the whole film. And aren't a cavalcade that has very little to do to with To do with anything. Movie. Yeah, like this is such a movie that is coherent from beginning to end. God, it's so weird that that's such a high praise point. Right, I know. <laughs> I was going to say like, when was the last time we watched a movie this coherent? And it was... All Quiet on the Western Front, which has which has a point. And what would you say is the point of this movie, though? Because here's, the, I think, the one thing that this movie's missing is, like, a, a strong central theme. I, I don't like this. But I do genuinely think the point of this movie is a feel-good movie for the working class of, like, if you are a real man and you have pride and this, you can find a rich woman. Mm. The height of the depression. Height of the depression. These are your goals. You're right. We're definitely... Like in, in the midst of it, this is de I could definitely see myself walking into this and just having a great time. I guess that's kind of what happened now, right? We're kind of we're in unprecedented times as we speak. Yeah, it's it's a feel good flick, even with all of its problems. It just once it gets rolling, it doesn't stop. And that's kind of nice. Once it gets rolling, it doesn't stop until it hits until, its face into a wall. Yeah, until, you know, like all train, all train crashes must come to a good end. Um, <laughs> and this came to a bad end. This came to a bad end. Sorry, all train crashes must come to a bad end is what I meant to say. It sucks that like one of the better movies that we've ever seen is a movie that has like no core. No thesis. Killer. Nothing to really to say about the world textually. Everything it says about the world is subtext. This is how men should be. This is how women should be. The rich are bad and the poor are good. It doesn't say those I things. I mean, I do agree with the statement, the rich are bad and the poor are good. But that is like, I wouldn't even say subtext. That's like tertiary text. Yeah, right. That is less the text of the movie and a facet of Peter's character. I, I, I would put this movie up there with a very specific genre of like early, late 90s, early 2000s romantic comedy where where the point of it is just to have fun. I, 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 think, I think personally, I would put, up, put it up there with better Hallmark movies of, it's mostly- Even just, lower. Yeah, no, I was gonna say it's lower <laughs> than where it you put there, it. up there, but even lower. Yeah, and it's just- I don't agree with its messaging on like what women and men should be. Yeah. And I think because it doesn't really have a thesis statement about the world, that's the only message you can take away from it. And so it's like a decent Hallmark flick, bad ideals about traditional roles, but fun to watch until it crashes into a wall. I will say one thing that I think puts this a little bit above a Hallmark movie is... Black and white, better color grading. 
Yes. Not so Christian focused. Its traditional values do not come from religion. They come from being old. (laughs) I mean, I I do think there is like a, in the history, right, of like the, the, how like Protestant views have influenced like American culture. Yeah. This movie is definitely that. It's definitely still hailing from the like, the era of... Cimarron. Cimarron. It hails from that era, all right, of Cimarron, like, this is what a man should be. And from Cimarron to here, we've we've seen a subtle shift, right? But we're still kind of basically in that mode. But the cowboy, the cowboy has become the the poor man, the muckraker, the worker. I think a thing that is an interesting thing is this movie places a higher respect on intelligence over like brute strength. He can fight and win, but he's not like great at it. The thing that's sexy about him is that he's super like clever and witty. He's a he's a Han Solo. I don't like Han Solo is clever or witty. <laughs> he's going to be the first, I think, in a long line of charming nasty boys. He is a charming nasty boy. But I think it's interesting that this movie places a higher respect on his therefore intelligence. And I think there's definitely a trope of leaning too far into that and being like, if you're dumb, you're uneducated, but whatever. Do you want to know how old these people were? Are you ready? Are you going to tell me or do I have to guess? How old was Peter Warren, played by Clark Gable? Peter Warren, played by Clark Gable. This is our lead man. It's our lead mustache man. He'd been famous for a while. I'm going to say he was in his 40s. I'm going to go with 43. 43. So Clark Gable was born in 1901, which would have made him 33 at the time of production. He had been famous for a couple of years. This is probably not his breakout role but this is the movie that put him on the map this is the movie that's going to make him for the next 50 years essentially also it's going to make this game a lot easier for you the next time i have to say how old is clark gable and you can be like well it's been this many years so (laughs) ellen andrews played by claudette colbert um claudette colbert she's very small compared to that's really all i remember i'm gonna go with 25 25 that's a good guess she was born in 1903, which would have made her only 31 at the Dang, time of production. Nice. Two-year gap. That's really good. That's super good. King Wesley. 43. Who was played by Jameson Thomas, was born in 1888, which would have made him 46. That man looks old. Yeah. I remember the first time we saw him, I was like, that man is old. To be fair, I kind of don't hold it against this no, movie no, because no. part of the point is that they are a bad match. She mentions that she met him when she was a kid. And in my mind, I was like, well, they must have both been, been kids. kids. But now my mind is like, oh, she ran into a man's car. And then a decade later, he was like, I'm going to marry her like a fucking freak i was again okay with it because the idea is that he is a bad match and this is a bad release so didn't bother me but uh how cute that they were like actually dateable it makes sense why they had chemistry on set sometimes in like a real way yeah i do think i do think a big problem whenever you have too big of an age gap between two lead actors is that that chemistry is just not there it's hard to think of an example, a recent example. Hollywood these days has gotten so much worse about this, about just like if a woman is over 40, all she plays is moms and grandmas now. And if she's over 50, then you might as well not hire her, which sucks. She's over 50. She's playing like an ancient crone. Yeah, she's playing like a like a wizened tree or something. If she's over 50, she's Betty White. She's Betty White, yeah. Do you think this movie deserves five Oscars? No. Do you think it deserves one Oscar? 
I don't want to give it an Oscar based on like relativity, but this movie is so much better put together than any other movie we've seen that if somebody came to me and was like, this is the movie when we figured out how to fucking do it, how to finally make a watchable film, I'd be like, sure, you know what? We're giving Wizard of Oz an Oscar for being co- for doing color good first. I'll give this movie an Oscar for doing dumb, fun movie good first. I don't think that that's true. Yeah, I was going to say, my problem is, is I... We both watched war movie. Ooh. I walk a million miles in these boots. Yeah. And that's like a well put together movie. So I feel like if, if any movie should get, like you did a movie good first, it's all quiet on the Western front. And we already gave that movie an Oscar. I think I think this movie is like a movie and I think it's like a good rom-com. But I think a good rom-com does not deserve an Oscar. No, yeah, for sure. It's definitely... St- you need to be saying more about people in your movie or society or something. Yeah. Like this movie just isn't giving back anything. Maybe, maybe it's just because it's been a while since I've had fun watching one of these. But you're right. You're right. No Oscar. I'll, I'll give it half an Oscar. No. It gets the base. It doesn't get the person. It just gets the base. It gets a little plaque. It gets a little plaque. It gets a base. It just said, you know, it says you, you did a good. You made a movie. Yeah. We don't give awards away, Andy, for making movies, though. So you get That's fair. Without a base, should've, without should've, a trace. Yeah, should have get off the pot. I will I will not give it an Oscar then. I was like, if we start giving it's away Oscars nice. for making movies. It's my emotions. Every movie from here on out will get I, an I Oscar. I have to think logically and rationally like you do. It's true. I would never tell my wife I love her. (laughs) What are we watching next? I don't know. Up next, we are going to be watching The Informer, directed by John Ford. Prepare for Ford to inform. Are you ready? Are you ready for anti-Semitism? Different Ford. (laughs) There was such fear in my eyes of like, oh God. Uh, This, hey, we're probably going to get a lot of really bad Irish takes. Because apparently this movie is set during the Irish Revolution. So. Oh, no. Ah, we'll see. I, I hey, hey, at the very least, I don't feel bad talking about the Irish because that's, that's like most of my heritage. I was going to say, I'm Catholic. It's basically the same, right? Like, <laughs> In the meantime, I've been your host, Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at Twitter, at Mavis Evergreen. And uh, my name is Andy Reyes. You can find me on Twitter at royalty underscore Valens. I don't do much there these days. But you can also find me at my other podcast, direct2.video at direct2.video. But yeah, you know, if you want a more laid back, fun time, we are rounding out the Disney Fairies collection. Oh, by the way, we also have a website. Yes, we also have a website. Uh, you can listen to us at timehonoredpictures.com. We would also really like it if you could rate us five stars on the podcatcher of your choice. Super appreciate it. Thanks. And remember, morals aren't relative. That's my saying now. Yeah, that's what we're going with. That's what I'm going with. You can have your own saying. It's all in the thumbs, see? No, do it again. And remember, it's all in the thumbs, see? No, I meant like that's a terrible phrase. I hate this. No, I like it. The wall of. Well, I, we could, or we could not. What was that the, joke is dumb. What was, what was I'm the so glad that you don't know the Bible well enough to just. The wall have this. of Jerusalem. No. It's the other oldest city in the world. Oh, I like history. It's, there was a TV show named this that was incredibly popular. Jericho, the Wall yeah. of Jericho. <laughs> I knew the TV show would get you there.